Traders Point, how are we doing today? We doing okay? Hey, it is always so good to be here with you guys. I just want to take a moment to welcome everybody at all of our campuses, anybody who is tuning in online, any new guests that we have in the building today, we are so glad that you guys are here. And uh, if you were here with us last week, maybe you remember our lead pastor, Aaron Brockett, saying that he and our teaching pastor, Ryan, are actually going to be going out on sabbatical here really soon. And you see me up here and you're like, but I thought that wasn't until Memorial Day. What happened? I talked them into going a little bit early. And it didn't take much. No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, they'll both be back next week as we kick off a new series called Achilles. And you'll want to come back too as we kick off that series. Brockett and, and Bramlett will both be back here for that series. So we encourage you to come back as well. But today what we are doing is we are wrapping up a series of messages that we're in where we have just been really unpacking a story that Jesus told. It's known as a parable that he told about farming. And he told this story to a, a big crowd, a large and diverse group of people from various backgrounds and ethnicities and occupations, different socioeconomic statuses. All of them were very different. Some of them were actual followers of Jesus, people who had given their whole livelihoods to follow him and believe in him, men and women who were committed to the cause. They were in. There was another group of people who were probably skeptical about Jesus, who maybe were a little opposed to him and actually were trying to take him out. And then there were some people who were right in the middle, who were a little neutral, indifferent. They were just here for a good time and the free coffee. <laughs> and so Jesus, knowing this, he tells them a story. But there was one thing that actually they all would have had in common. They all would have been familiar with agriculture. They lived in an agrarian society, meaning that they either produced their own food or they knew somebody who, who did. And so Jesus, knowing this, uses this familiarity to tell them a story about farming that, that draws them in. And it can be found in Luke chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and flip or scroll there. If you don't, no worries. Everything will be up here on the screen next to me. But we've been calling this series Dirt. And what we've seen is that there's a lot of things that come to mind when we think of the word dirt, right? Some of us think about our kids, just filthiness, mud, messiness. Other, others of us think about uh, maybe a garden or landscaping. Um, for me, I think about a place, the hardware store, Menards, the Home Depot, you name it. And let me just say, there are a lot of things that I'm familiar with and places that I'm comfortable in. Hardware store is not one of them. <laughs> It's not. Listen, I'm not ashamed of that. My manhood is not defined by how well I can navigate a hardware store, okay? Uh, no, but last year when the pandemic first hit and all of us were confined to our homes, for some reason, people, at least in my neighborhood, decided to have a party at the local hardware store, right? Like, I guess I didn't get the memo, but it was packed every single day. Maybe it was springtime and because everybody wanted to do projects around the house, everybody flooded to the hardware store. So I decided to join the crowd. And let me just say, there's probably uh, no more of an entertaining job than the associates who work at a hardware store who have to interact with people like me who come in and are completely lost, but we're trying to act like we're not lost. And they're so kind too. So I'm usually like lost, trying to navigate around the store, looking at my phone at the product and looking at the store, trying to maneuver my way through, looking at my phone and they come up and they're like, excuse me, sir, can I help you find something? And I'm like, finally putting my pride to the side. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm looking for some mulch. And they're kind, but they're condescending at the same time. It's like, oh, mulch? Sure. First, let me help you navigate out of our plumbing section and follow me all the way to the other side of the store to the gardening section. I'm like, you know what, man? Forget your mulch. I'm going to Amazon. 
I don't need that in my life. No kidding. The first time I bought mulch, they asked me a question that I, that I wasn't ready for. How much mulch do you need? And I kid you not, this was my response the first time. I was like, I mean, how much you got? <laughs> it's like, Kyle, you're not buying this from somebody on Craigslist. You're at Lowe's, bro. I don't know. It's just the first thing that came to mind. Maybe I thought he was going to be like, you know what? We only got a few bags left out here, but if you follow me around the corner to my car, I can hook you up. I, I don't know. It's so, so much pressure trying to quantify the right amount of mulch or dirt for your house, and nobody told me. But for some of you, you're laughing because you can't identify with that. Like, landscaping is your thing. Maybe you grew up on a farm, and so you're like, I know all there is to know about mulch and dirt. Others of us, it's a completely foreign world, okay? But it wouldn't have been foreign to the people in this crowd that Jesus was talking to. They would have been very familiar with the language that he was using about farming, the contextual background, all of that. And so Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, uses what's culturally familiar to tell them a story about farming to draw them in and to connect with their hearts. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and look at what he says in Luke chapter 8. You guys ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, this is what it says. It says, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. And this is what he said. The story is, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered the seed across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack, from lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. And still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus tells this story and then he pretty much just says, all right, that's it. Good night. I'll be here all week. Maybe, maybe not. You go, you go figure it out. But the disciples are like, skirt, hold on, Jesus. Like, you got to break this down for us. You got to break this down for us a little bit. And so for some reason, he chooses to break this down to his, his group of disciples who are right there with him. Everybody else, they have to fend for themselves. Look what he says in verse 11 as he explains it. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds that fell on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So just to quickly recap, we've been saying that the seed is God's word. That's what Jesus says. It's the good news about God's love and about God's kingdom. And the soil represents our hearts. And Jesus says, as this seed is scattered, as God's word goes forth, it falls on, on different types of, of soil. The seed, though, what we've been saying is that the seed remains the same. God's word, it does not change, but the conditions of our hearts, they do. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been breaking down each one of these soils each week to try to find ourselves in them. Jesus says there's some that fell on a path. 
This didn't even make it into the soil. It just fell on a path and birds came and they took it away. The birds represent Satan who takes the word away from some of our hearts. And so Jesus is saying, sometimes the word goes forth, it is preached, but it falls on deaf ears. So encouraging to hear as a preacher. <laughs> he says there's some, though, that falls on rocky soil. And there's some soil, but then there's some rocks that are kind of mixed in with it. And it makes it hard for the seed to actually establish some roots down into the soil and get the moisture that it needs. And the moment that temptation comes, we're drawn away. He said there's some that falls among thorns. And this is a little deceptive because this seed does what it's supposed to do. It falls into the soil and it begins to grow the roots and it even begins to sprout some vegetation, some fruit. But then there's some other plants that Jesus said that are around it that begin to choke it out. And he said that these plants represent worry and wealth and pleasures of this world. And what they do is they compete with God in our hearts. And they have a tendency to, to fight for what's most important. And they end up drawing us away. And I don't know about you, but I've been able to find myself in each one of these soils as we've gone through them over the past couple of weeks. And being able to really identify either in this season or in seasons previous um, areas and soils of my heart that, that really resonate with me. And it's like the, the Holy Spirit has been giving me just some, some healthy um, conviction gut punches. And then Jesus comes up and gives me like this spiritual hug because he wants me to know, hey, you don't have to stay in these soils. They're never meant to be permanent. He actually said that there's a fourth kind of soil that we can have and that he wants to help us to nurture. And it's the good soil. And as I was doing some research about good soil that didn't involve me going to Lowe's, um, I was able to see a number of characteristics that describe what good soil actually looks like. Um, the main one that stood out to me, though, translates so well into our spiritual relationship with Jesus. And it's this. It's the fact that good soil is a sustainable and a consistent environment for growth. Okay? I want us to take note of that because we're going to come back to it and revisit over and over again here within the message. Good soil is a sustainable and consistent environment for growth. And Jesus wants us to know that this is exactly what it should look like in our heart. Some of you may know that th how important this is. Maybe you have a garden or you have some flowers around your house and you have a, a little bit of a green thumb. You know how important it is to maintain an environment that is sustainable and consistent for the plants. It's a fertile habitat for the nutrients to be able to get to the seed. So Jesus says, hey, if you want to produce a harvest, if you want to have uh, some fruit be buried in your life, it requires good, fertile soil. And so if we want to be able to do this, we're going to have to um, know that good and fertile soil is actually visible. I don't know if you know this, but you can actually identify what good soil looks like. And Jesus says when you have good soil, it'll be evident because of three things. I don't know if you caught it in the parable when he was explaining it. He said, first, you'll be able to hear the word of God. You'll be able to hear the direction that he's giving you. You'll hear his voice. You're not just listening for the sake of listening. You're listening with intention to hear. And then he says you'll actually cling to it. You'll hear and then you'll cling. And this has everything to do with obedience, right? It has everything to do with not just listening to what God says, but actually doing what he says. You know, um, shortly after this, um, it says that Jesus' mom and his brothers actually come to, to visit him. And they're trying to push their way through this large crowd. And somebody comes up to Jesus to tell him that his, his family's here. He's like, they're like, bro, like, your mama and your brothers are here. And Jesus is like, but my true family are those who hear God's word and obey it. So we have to hear God's word and we have to cling to it. And then he says, if you do these things, you'll produce a harvest. Okay. 
And this is all about God rewarding the obedience, producing something through us. And he doesn't just say a, a harvest. He says a huge harvest. Okay. And I think for many of us, that sounds really nice. We like to hear about the harvest, but we don't want to cultivate because the cultivating is hard. Cultivating requires us to dig up some things, doesn't it? It requires us to unearth a few things in our life. It forces us to look at some of the, the sinful parts of who we are. It forces us to, to look at our past and to see some of the experiences that we have endured, maybe some trauma. It forces us to get a little vulnerable and honest. It forces us to actually admit that we're not just um, good people who occasionally make mistakes, but that we are broken people who can only be put back to together by the very hands that created us. And man, if this last year has shown me anything in a pandemic, it's how broken I am, how selfish I can be, how um, controlling I can be at times, how much pride is in me. And God has had to, to dig that out of me. And he has to remind me that he refuses to share a space in my heart with things that don't look like him. And so I've had to dig that up and give it over to God. I've had to completely surrender some things to God because he promises to produce a harvest in us if we have this good soil. It'll produce a harvest. But I think if we knew what the harvest is really about, then it will change our approach to a lot of things, particularly our, our relationship with Jesus. And I think when we think of the harvest, we think of prosperity. We think of uh, receiving something, right? And I'm with you. We think about um, some of my wants and some of my desires and, and some of my, my needs. And I'll be the first to say, I have to fight my flesh every single day that tries to tell me that God owes me something. That because of what I do or because of my works that uh, I should be rewarded of some things. But there's some wrestling that I've been doing just as it relates to what the harvest actually is. And it forced me to kind of ask the question, what if the harvest is different? What if the harvest isn't really about receiving? What if the harvest is um, more about who you're becoming than what you're receiving? Because I think a lot of us have this tendency to turn Jesus into like this genie. It's like, oh, Jesus, if I could just, just give me this job, just give me this house. Oh, Jesus, if you could just make these kids listen. Just me? No? Okay. What if the harvest is more about who you're becoming in the process than what you are receiving? College students, what if the harvest isn't you getting the dream job out of college? What if the harvest isn't the promotion? Singles, what if the harvest isn't you getting married? Parents of, uh, of, of adult kids who are married, what if the harvest isn't you getting those grandbabies that you're waiting for? All good things but we can make them ultimate things. What if the harvest is more about who we are becoming than what we are receiving? What if the harvest is about you falling in love with Jesus every day, letting him change your heart every day, and then letting him use you to impact the people who are around you every single day? What if that is the harvest? Because God says that he wants to do some things in you. He wants to do things through you, that he wants to place you in the midst of darkness so that you can be a planter. In fact, right after this, Jesus says, hey, nobody lights a lamp and then just covers it up. The lamp has a purpose. It's a light that, that people are, are drawn to. And Jesus is saying, that's what the harvest is about. I want to shine a light through you so that people can be drawn to me through you. And so he wants to draw people to us. And that's what the harvest is. He wants people to be drawn 
to him. And so the harvest sounds good, but it takes some work. And we can't do it without cultivating some good soil. So how do we get the good soil? Maybe that's what y'all have been waiting for. It's like, man, y'all been talking about all these different types of soil. Just tell me how to get the good stuff. That's the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I came today. I hear you. But I think you'll be shocked to know that Jesus doesn't say. That's what wrecked me this week as I was studying for this message. I'm like, he doesn't even tell them how to get the good soil. The disciples thought that they were getting the inside scoop. But he doesn't say. If you look at it, he tells them the results of having good soil. He said, you'll hear God's word. You'll cling to it. You'll produce a harvest. But he doesn't tell them how to have good soil. And that had to be so frustrating, I thought, is that they thought that they were actually getting some information that would be helpful to them. And it actually was. And I had to wonder why did not, why Jesus didn't actually tell them how to get good soil. And I thought he actually did something much more important. He showed them. He showed them with his life. He showed them with the ways that he uh, incorporated certain rhythms into his life, how he interacted with people that society had pushed to the margins. He showed them through his character and how he was patient and kind with people. And I think what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to to, to show them that it's not about doing, that, that following him isn't about a checklist. And oh man, we are good at checklists, aren't we? It's like for some of us, you give us a good to-do list and you just leave us alone, we are set. But Jesus is saying, hey, following me is not about doing, but it's about being. So how can we be? How can we take our cues from Jesus? That's what I wanna do with the remainder of our time. What can we look at that Jesus um, was about? What, did he, what, what was he like? How did he model being, and then how can we implement that into our lives so that we can have an environment that is sustainable and consistent for growth? And the first thing that I would say that is super important is that we have to be present. Be present. Sounds very simple, but it's not easy to live out. But Jesus was very present, not just physically, but emotionally and and spiritually as well. He walked at such a pace that didn't seem rushed, but he had a sense of urgency about him. And he wasn't distracted by people who were trying to get his attention and things that were going on around him, which is very hard for us not to do. Like we're constantly uh, being uh, enamored with things that are fighting for our attention. And we can get easily distracted and drift away either because of distraction or disinterest. So like hypothetically speaking, all hypothetical, like you ever been on a a Zoom meeting, maybe for school or for work? A lot of us are familiar with this over over the past year in a pandemic. And there's a lecture going on or maybe somebody's presenting something and you just find yourself like checking out. Like the cameras, you turn the camera off, the audio is off now and you're maybe, you got like a text conversation going with somebody else who's in the meeting too, but totally unrelated to what's going on. Maybe you're browsing social media. Some of y'all are bold enough to like be cooking and stuff during these work meetings, (laughs) folding laundry, (laughs) all of that. What happened? You became distracted or disinterested, one of the two. And the same thing can happen with us spiritually if we're not present. But guess what? We have an enemy that is the master at getting us to be both distracted or disinterested. It's part of his MO. That's what he does best. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves subtly drifting from being present. But Jesus was always present. He was constantly getting into solitude with his heavenly father and and exhibiting an open heart that that was open to what God wanted to do in and through him. And I think what we have to do is we have to be able to identify some things that in, in our life that either help us become more present or that keep us from being present. 
And one of the questions that I've had to actually just start wrestling with is one that has helped me during this season where I've had to like run it through a grid and, and pinpoint some things in my life and then actually assess either if it's helping me or it's hurting me when it comes to being present. Maybe I can share this with you and it'll, it'll help you too. Simple. Am I more present with or without blank? You fill in the blank. I can't do that for you. Maybe there's some things that, that you're more present with, all about like being present with God and present with those who are around you. Maybe some things actually help you to be present. Maybe it's small group. You put small group in here. 99% of the time, it's going to help you be more present. They're going to encourage you to be present with God, present with your family, present with your friends, so that you can be aware of what's going on and then participate with Jesus and helping to encourage them spiritually. Maybe it's counseling. And you're more present with counseling in your life, and you need to actually uh, seek that out. And then maybe you swing the pendulum to the other side and say, hey, what am I more present without in my life? And maybe that's the name of a person who, you know, is drawing you away during this season of your life. And temporarily you have to disconnect so that you can grow and then circle back to, to help them. I know for me, when I, I'm asking that question, at least during this season, social media has been a big one. Instagram will get me, man, I promise. And I had to, to ask myself, am I a better disciple, a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better pastor with it or without it in my life? And God is saying, like, during this season, you're better without it. Because I can't produce a harvest if I'm constantly admiring the illusion of someone else's harvest. It's, it's detrimental to, to my heart. And so I have, to, I have to identify what it is that's drawing me away. Am I a better and more present disciple, father, husband, friend? You fill in the blank with or without this in my life. Because presence is so key. And presence is all about creating a space for God's love and God's word to live. Maybe if you've been um, tracking with us on social media, you've been seeing that we have actually been doing some devotions that are pointing to certain rhythms that Jesus implemented into his life that can help us be more present to be more engaged and more involved with God and with those who are around us. They're called spiritual disciplines. Things like fasting and praying and scripture and serving. These aren't just rituals. These are things that Jesus actually did in order for him to maintain an environment that was uh, sustainable and consistent. And we think that they could help us as, as well. So we gotta, be, we gotta be present. The second thing is we gotta be patient. Be patient. Nobody did this better than Jesus. What this reminds us, is that spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. And I think we know that subconsciously, but we try to rush the process so many times. Jesus was patient. The disciples were with him every day for three years, and they still made mistakes and said a lot of dumb things. But Jesus never reprimanded them for it. He was patient with them. He may have gotten a little frustrated with their lack of faith, but he never condemned them for not growing at the rate that, that was expected. He was patient. And I think a lot of us think that we can like air fry spiritual growth. <laughs> like we want it instant and we want it to be good. And I try to, to I air fry a lot of crazy things, especially during a quarantine. I'm like putting pancake batter in there, looking over my shoulder, make sure my wife isn't looking. Some of y'all are like, he is a terrible husband. He can't buy mulch. He can't cook. <laughs> what are you good for? <laughs> no. It's not instant. And in a society where we are so enamored with instant gratification, Jesus says spiritual growth is not always instant. One thing that I've identified about following Jesus is it requires some, some waiting. And none of us like to wait. We are masters 
at creating opportunities for us not to wait. But Jesus says that we have to be patient. Look at what he says actually in Luke chapter 8, again in verse 15. He said, and the seeds that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a harvest. Following Jesus requires some waiting. And again, we are masters at not waiting. We will find anything to not wait. We will find the, the, the shortest checkout line at the store. If we're coming to a stoplight and uh, there's some cars there, we'll find the lane that has the least amount of cars, <laughs> just me. If I'm on Amazon and I'm scrolling through, it could be a great product, great reviews. If it doesn't have prime delivery, I'm moving on. <laughs> I need it in two to three days. No, but we need to wait. Jesus says you have to be patient because spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. But waiting is not easy. My, my daughter, one of her favorite shows used to be Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Parents of toddlers in the room, you probably know what I'm talking about. She recently discovered Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, though. And Daniel Tiger is a spinoff, a cartoon spinoff of Mr. of Mr. Rogers. But she thinks Mr. Rogers is new. I tried to tell her, like, no, nah, baby, Mr. Rogers has been around since the 60s. She's like, no, it's not, Daddy, it's new. I'm like, all right. But one day she was watching an episode of Mr. Rogers as he takes off one cardigan and puts on another and <laughs> changes his shoes. And the episode was about waiting. And what Mr. Rogers says is waiting is hard. And he sings this little ditty, this little song. He's like, I think it's very, very, very hard to wait. And Kendall's like, I feel you, Mr. Rogers. Like, <laughs> waiting is hard. But she's adopted that and she's taken it. Now she's like using it against me. So that anytime her instant gratification isn't so instant, she pulls one of those numbers. She's like, Daddy, can I have some candy? No, Kendall, not right now. Waiting is hard. Daddy, can I go outside? No, Kendall, not right now. Waiting is hard. And I'll be like, you know what else is hard? These hardwood floors. Sit down and face the wall. You're in timeout. It's annoying. No, but then, like, there's some truth to that. I finally succumbed to that. There, there's some truth in that. Waiting is hard. Maybe you need to hear that, too. And you need to accept it. And to acknowledge that waiting is hard. But I want you to know that there's some purpose in the waiting. That waiting isn't just for the sake of waiting. That God wants to do some things in you as you are waiting. I, know, I don't know if you know this, but actually when a seed is planted, do you know that it actually grows down before it grows up? That the roots start to grow before you ever see anything on the surface. There's already growth that is taking place down beneath the soil. And the roots have a purpose. The roots uh, help to provide nutrients to the plant but it also gives it something else. It gives it anchorage, it gives it an anchor. It's there to support the plant for when it grows above the surface. It's a foundation. And the same thing is true with our spiritual growth, that while we are waiting, God is actually doing some things in us. God is actually uh, cultivating the soil of our hearts and giving us um, the character that we need so that when we produce the harvest, we have the character that is needed to be able to sustain the fruit. He's more concerned about our character over our competency. Because our competency, our talents and our gifts can take us places, but our character is what's going to keep us there. And so as we produce the harvest, God is saying, hey, there's purpose in the waiting. And some of you need to hear that, that as you are waiting, God is doing some things in you. So we have to be patient and we cannot lose heart, which leads us to the third thing. We have to be present. We have to be patient. And we got to be persistent. This has everything to do with being faithful. And it may sound like those two things are mutually exclusive, being patient and being persistent, but they're not. You can be patient while still being faithful. 
I actually love this definition of, of persistent. It says that persistence is continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. And Jesus did this so well. There was so much opposition and discouragement that Jesus faced, but he stayed faithful to the mission and he did not waver. And it's what made him the model for spiritual growth, which is his obedience to, the God, to God's will. Eugene Peterson would actually call this a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what spiritual growth, that's what discipleship is all about. And if we want to be able to see the harvest, we have to be able to stay persistent, to stay the course, even when it doesn't look like what we think success should look like. And, you know, as Jesus broke down this parable, I think there was a particular reason that he did so. One of them is he wanted to know, he wanted them to know what spiritual growth actually looks like in their own life. But he also wanted them to know that, hey, you're going to be doing some planting soon. He was telling the disciples, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to scatter some seed. And as you scatter some seed, some is going to fall on good soil. Others of it is going to fall on bad soil. But guess what? You cannot lose heart. You have to stay faithful to the mission. And what he was doing is he was reorienting their picture of what success actually looks like. And I think he wants to do the same thing with many of us because in today's world where so much of success is marked by um, hitting milestones and hitting metrics and getting the followers and getting the likes and all these other things, Jesus is saying none of that is what success is about. You know what, you know what success is? Success is obedience and faithfulness to the last thing that God told you to do. Obedience and faithfulness to the last thing that God told you to do. And Jesus is saying, this is what success is all about as he's giving this information to the disciples. Obedience and faithfulness. We have to be obedient and faithful during the planting process. That's what persistence is all about. Because guess what? It is not our job to make the harvest grow. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make the harvest grow. Our job is to be obedient and to be faithful during the planting process to be persistent. And God says, if you do this, and I promise that I'm going to give you a harvest. There's going to be some things that are produced in you, but also some things that I'm going to do through you. And so we have to be faithful. We have to be present. We have to be patient, but we also have to be persistent because we know that we've been called to a mission, that we've been saved from something for something. I want to kind of talk to a few people who are either here in the room or at all of our campuses who are a little bit involved in what we have going on. Group leaders, I know what it's like to commit yourself to the mission and to be all in, only to have one or two people show up on a weekly basis. I know what it's like to pour yourself out to people, hoping that you see fruit, but it seems like nothing is taking root. Kids ministry volunteers, God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. There's a lot of planting that goes on in kids' ministry. And sometimes it seems like that's all that happens, just planting and planting. And it may seem like you will not ever see the fruit. And sometimes it may not happen until years down the line when these kids are in high school or college or adult kids. But your role is significant. You're doing some planting and it's valuable. Be present. Be patient and be persistent. Keep showing up. Maybe you are a parent who has adult kids and your kids have walked away from Jesus. And it's hard. And you're starting to question everything that you did. Maybe you thought, I, hey, I did all the things. 
I took them to church. I told them that I wasn't perfect, but I did the best that I could to model Jesus before them. And they still walked away. Be present. They need to know that your love for them is not contingent on them following Jesus, that you have to stay involved in what they have going on and who they are. Be patient. It's not your job to grow the harvest. Keep praying, but be persistent. Don't lose heart, don't lose faith, don't lose courage. Maybe you're a student and it seems like you are the only person at your school or on your campus who's following Jesus and it's very hard. And you're doing all the things, you started the ministry, you're inviting other, other students to church. You're telling them that you're not perfect, but you encountered a perfect God who's starting to change you and you're doing all the things, but it seems like nothing is taking root. Be persistent. Keep planting, because that's our only job is to plant and people will come alongside and water it and God will ultimately be the one that grows the harvest. Maybe it's your marriage and your spouse isn't growing spiritually at the rate that you had hoped. Stay engaged, keep praying, be persistent, keep serving. Our job is to plant. You know, as I was preparing for this message, um, I often listen to music as I'm studying or as I'm writing. And uh, this particular time, I, like I usually have some jazz or something going, a little Coltrane or some Miles Davis, but today, this week I had, I had some, uh, uh, just a worship playlist going. And there was a song that came on in this playlist, um, one that I had heard countless times before. And it's actually become one of my favorite songs. It's by Hillsong Worship. And the song is called, As It Is In Heaven. And the chorus of this song like just wrecked me in a way that I'd never heard it before. And I, it just washed over me. And it says, I know you love me. I know you found me. I know you saved me and your grace will never fail me. But then this line is what hit me like a ton of bricks. But while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. I know heaven lives in me. And as I heard that, I was like, man, how true is that? I'm like listening to it in the car and blaring out the lyrics. I'm like crying, I'm at a stoplight and people are probably looking over like, what is he doing? Cause I'm just like, I don't care. I'm like, while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting because there's so much truth in that. It has everything to do with, hey, I know that Jesus is going to produce a harvest. I know that one day Jesus is returning and he's going to come back. But while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. I'm not just sitting idle and doing nothing. I'm going to stay faithful to the mission. I'm going to keep my hand to the plow. I'm going to keep showing up every single day and to stay engaged. I'm not checking out. I'm going to plant and I'm going to praise. I'm going to till and I'm going to trust. I'm going to work and I'm going to worship. I know one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore all things. But until that happens, I'm going to stay faithful. While I'm waiting, I'm not waiting because hell is too hot and eternity is too long for me to do nothing. My job is to plant and God will grow the harvest. And maybe you're here today and you're still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're not sold on it. Maybe, maybe you walked away from Jesus. Or maybe it wasn't even Jesus that you walked away from. It was the church. I hear you. But can I tell you that this very element of waiting but not waiting is existent in our Heavenly Father. One of the most common words used throughout Scripture to describe God is patient. In fact, I love what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says that the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And that word repent simply means, hey, to have a changing of, of the mind, to be walking one way and to make an about face and to believe God for who he said he was and believe Jesus for what he did and then begin to walk in a new direction. He's waiting, he's patient, but he's not waiting maybe in the sense that you're thinking. He's not waiting for you to get your act together before you can come to him. He's not waiting for you to get all your ducks in a row before he approves you or do enough good deeds before he accepts you. No, he already made the first move. He went to a cross to die for us while we were dead in our sin. The move was his and he already made it. And all we have to do is receive and just be and believe. He's waiting. He's waiting for your heart to soften and to accept him. He's waiting for it to become a little bit tender and open to what he wants to do in and through your life. He's waiting. But at the very same time, he's not waiting because he's chasing you down with everything that he has in him. He is pursuing you left and right, not letting you get away, letting you know just how big and how magnificent and how sufficient his love is for you. And that's what he wants to wash over you. While he's waiting, he is not waiting. And maybe some of, some of you need to hear that today. You just need to receive, you just need to be and stop trying to do and know that Jesus already did all of the doing. And while he's waiting, while he's being patient, he's not waiting. I wanna ask all of us at all of our campuses to go ahead and stand. If you're online, stand with us as we get ready to worship and pray. And I'm gonna pray these things over us. I'm gonna pray that God would allow us to be these three things, to be present, to be patient, and to be persistent. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together as your church. And God, we see what it looks like to have good soil, an environment where sustainable and consistent growth can take place. And we know that that is the desire that you have for our hearts so that your word can be heard, so that we can cling to it, and so that we can produce a harvest. And God, we know that as we do those things, you promise that the harvest will come, but we need to be okay. Even if we don't see the harvest on this side of eternity, God, help us to be persistent in the process. Help us to not lose heart. Help us to not want to waver. Help us to not want to throw in the towel. Help us to stay faithful to the mission because you promise to complete the work that you started within us. You promise to complete the work that you start in other people. So help us to just be faithful to planting and to plowing and cultivating and trusting you to do the rest, God. God, you are the only one that is worthy worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, and all that we do is because of you, Jesus. And God, we will exalt you. We will lift you up. We will give you all the praise that you deserve in the process of planting. So God, encourage us, help us to stay faithful, and help us to love the way that you've called us to love. We ask all these things in your precious son, Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.